Welcome to Tramlines, a podcast from Agri. I'm your host, Tony Smith, putting your questions to the experts. In this episode, we're talking to Claire Bend, Head of Product Development and Sustainability at Origin Enterprises. Today, we're going to be asking some key questions about innovation in crop production and what that could mean for UK growers. So, Claire, good morning to you. Good morning, Tony. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Claire. And it's great to have you back here on Tramlines. Now, since we last spoke, I understand that you've changed your role. Uh, So maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about what you do at Origin. Yeah, Okay. so I have been with Origin now uh, for just over a year. And what my role is now is I'm looking at uh, innovation from a global perspective. Um, Obviously, Origin has got businesses across the world in Romania, Poland, Ukraine, um, Brazil as well. So I'm out there searching for ideas and experiences that we maybe can bring back to Agri UK and use some of that knowledge to help UK farmer customers. Um, And, you know, it's interesting because those countries quite often are suffering uh, from the continental climate, which is, you know, droughts, very high temperatures in the summer, etc. So the sorts of experiences that we're beginning to go through in the UK. So some of their knowledge and experiences and dare I say it, products uh, can help, I think, in the UK. Well, that sounds really interesting, Claire. Um, and before we, we came on air, as it were, uh, you said that with regards to innovation, there's many reasons to be cheerful. So where do we start? For example, do we need to understand the registration processes or what's changing in our marketplace? Yes, I guess just um, let's let's start with that registration situation. And and I guess, again, um, in my new role, I'm having a look at the impact of things like the Green Deal on how farmers grow crops in the EU. So they are trying, uh, as you know, have this aim to reduce pesticide use by 50 percent by 2030. And that is really driving change across across uh, the EU. In the UK, or I should, I guess, be more specific and say GB, we now have our own registration system. Um, But both areas are suffering from fewer active ingredients coming through. They're harder to find. They're much more expensive to bring through the registration system. Um, And currently in GB, CRD are uh, under capacity and they have a number of inexperienced individuals there. So the registration system is quite slow at the moment. Um, That said, when they get their act together, we will see new active substances coming through between in between two to two and a half years, as opposed to four to five in the EU, because the product and the active substance is going to be evaluated in parallel rather than in sequence. So one reason to be cheerful was we had the new BSF herbicide Luxinum Plus in methylene um, approved this last year. And that was a full two years ahead of the EU. So, you know, there are some upsides, but at the moment, CRD have got a big workload. Um, And as we know, you know, we are draining to a sort of a trickle in terms of the number of new actives coming through. Sure. So in terms of crop protection, let's start there. And I know that's number one on your reasons to be cheerful list. So, you know, what, what alternative approaches are there? Yeah, I mean, there are really the scientists are getting quite creative now. Um, And of course, we've got bios, which I'll come on to in a moment. But 
we are beginning to see um, some new tools coming through. I'm not saying they're going to be with us tomorrow, but let's say within the five year time frame, something like that. Um, and we've got some some ideas, things like pest specific RNA tools. Um, now, these have been developed by a number of startups. And what these base are based on is double stranded RNA, which is um, which can be used to silence critical genes in target pests or boost immunity of crop plants. Um, so a number of companies like Syngenta and others are looking at these. And I think that um, they're based on similar sort of vaccination technology to what we've seen with COVID. And of course the general public understand that type of technology now. Um, and I think once the regulatory framework gets its head around it, we'll begin to see these products coming through, which are safe to non-target pests and very specific to, to pests. So I think that's that's interesting. Um, but the here and now, we've got things like physical barriers, which can act to reduce pest attacks. Um, and we're looking currently now at physical barriers, so silicon-based products, so like Sikova or Sirius, which you may have heard of. And these cover the insect pests with an impermeable layer that kills them. Um, and we've got biopesticides coming through which are made from insect frass um, and and those are helping because there's no residues left in the ground from from products like that and then a little bit further out some of these peptide analogs which are neurological peptides again very very specific to pest targets so companies like Celasta bio and um, they're hoping to bring some technology to the uk in 2027 so again, very, very pest specific. And to be honest, insecticides is where we're lacking at the moment. You know, we are losing insecticides. We have very few less left in our armory. Um, so that's kind of the pest side of things. Um, but we also have vaccines for plants coming through for diseases, uh, which look interesting, where that you're actually applying parts of the disease to the plant in specific formulations, which stimulate crop zone defenses. I think that's an area that's interesting. Um, and one that I particularly love when it comes to uh, looking at how we can better control resistant weeds um, is something called weed out. So this exploits weed sterility um, to use it alongside traditional um, crop protection chemistry. But basically the pollen of the target weed is treated. You then apply it to a field um, which contains the target weed, which is actually flowering. Um, and that then uh, fertilizes the target weed, but the seed that's produced is actually unviable. So gradually within that field system, you begin to see that particular weed population, that weed seed return decline. And it's a very, potentially a very useful tool alongside conventional herbicides. What I'm hearing with a lot of these ideas is is really low, if if any, mammalian toxicity, and very, well, what you're suggesting is little or even no residues to be concerned about in food or in the soil. Precisely, precisely. So, so there's some. This sounds incredibly forward thinking and very clever. Yeah, I'm I'm not saying it's around yet, though, Tony. That I I should say these these things are you know five years out, something like that. Yes, of course, uh, that makes sense, Claire. Now, you talked about biologicals. Um, we've talked in other podcasts about biostimulants and biocontrols. What, what's new in that arena? 
Well, I think what's new is um, we have to look at the backdrop here of the high rate of acquisitions of some of these small startup companies and the injection of major R&D companies and their know-how around things like formulation. So I would expect to see these biological products becoming increasingly reliable um, through largely through improved formulation. Um, and you know, we heard from Don in the last episode about the good, the bad, and the complicated. Um, and I would say now, you know, some of these are the complexity is how we get the most of some of these biological products. And particularly when it comes to things like the adjuvant system that they're applied in, those can actually be quite toxic to, let's say, a biopesticide, which is essentially a microorganism. Um, and we're beginning now to see some of these specialist adjuvant companies really think very long and hard about the best way to help these products stick to the plant surface, persist on the plant surface, and help feed those active microorganisms and help their performance. And I think that's where we will we will see some some major advantages there. Um, the other the other aspect, if you take uh, biostimulants, is that legislation in the EU now means that biostimulants have to be approved. And whilst that is not um, the case in the UK, uh, I think you will see those which have got an EU approval, so therefore there's good data behind them, actually getting greater traction on the UK market. Yeah. Uh, and, and as you said, you know, to, to our listeners today, do listen to uh, Don Pendergast's um, podcast on biosolutions. Uh, really interesting in terms of the work that he's doing uh, here right now in the UK, trying to make sense of those those new areas. So, so Claire, we, we, we have to think back to Groundswell uh, that we attended and, and again recorded podcasts at uh, a few months ago. And the talk there of uh, nutrient use and soil health, you know, what, what can growers expect to what can growers expect to hear more about in that area? Yeah, I mean, nutrient use efficiency is 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 a big buzzword at the moment, or perhaps from a climate change point of view, it should really be nitrogen use efficiency. I mean, fertilizer technology is already moving apace there. And, you know, you will have seen from the AgriStart range and from Origin Fertilizers, some excellent new technologies which are coming through um, to uh, that offer urease and or nitrification inhi inhibition. So that's with us here and now, um, and, that, and that's great. But alongside that, there is a wealth of microorganism-based products which are being offered now as fertilizer treatments, seed treatments or foliar sprays, which claim to improve nutrient use efficiency, stroke nitrogen use efficiency by um, solubilizing phosphate, for example, or fixing nitrogen. And I think the potential there is to either use that technology to reduce fertilizer rates or improve crop quality by getting greater nutrient uptake by, by the plant. But also, I would say there are a number of catalysts that can be employed as well. So certain micronutrition elements which can help as well improve that nutrient use efficiency. So some really great uh, improvements there. And I would also say that some of these microorganisms are also being used to speed up the breakdown of crop residues. Um, and again, thinking about soil health and the need to increase organic matter 
improve nutrient availability in soils and largely this is being done by promoting soil biological activity um, there's a lot of positive evidence to say that you know some of these microorganisms can be targeted in this way to help us improve soil health so i think those are a couple of areas and finally i'd say watch this space for a, a, a range of organic mineral fertilizers to be coming through the system um, which really will help the circular economy. So some of these will use food waste and other materials which can be transformed into pelleted fertilizers. Some of these are on the market already, um, but I, I expect that will be a, a rich seam of research going forward because it just fits the whole sustainability agenda that we have facing us at the moment. Uh, again, Claire, we, we, it's fascinating the innovation that's going on um, around that specific topic. Now, talking of innovation, digital, um, how can we use digital technologies to help us? I know it's on your list. Are there, again, reasons to be cheerful? Yeah, I mean, it's coming on in leaps and bounds. And um, I'd say it's really at the point now of delivering something useful to help with, with crop protection and all measure changes in biodiversity. And I'd say from the sensing point of view, we are now really in the midst of, of one of the greatest technological revolutions um, with ramifications that fall under, uh, let's say, for example, ways to track and measure biodiversity changes. Um, so there's some great new technologies coming through. Syngenta, for example, have got a new biodiversity sensor, um, which recognises and measures key species. So let's say we're looking at um, uh, ways to look, compare and contrast different uh, mix of pollinators, for example, that we might plant around the edges of fields, um, or as part of our thousand miles of wildlife corridor, which is one of our sustainability commitments, we can use that type of technology. Um, we can also consider things like uh, soil sensors, which are out there, which can measure soil health, so in, in a short space of time. So the PEZ soil sensor is being tested at the moment. So that can take a sample of soil and fairly quickly analyze it for different aspects of, of soil health, organic matter, respiration, texture, levels of organic carbon, that sort of thing as well. But then we also have ways to, um, for example, startups like LiveSen, uh, which are measuring actual nutrient levels in um, soil, sorry, in foliar uh, extracts. So we already have things like the Yara N tester, which is looking at measuring chlorophyll, but these new testers are actually measuring nutrition levels directly in tissue, which means that we could give much more targeted and specific applications, in-field applications on a zone by zone basis. Uh, to address some of the nutritional needs of, of the crop. And again, it's another remarkable application of science and technology to help the grower. Now, number five on your list, um, you have gene editing. Yeah, so at the moment, the um, genetic technology uh, bill or the precision breeding bill is actually going through the Lords. It's passed through the Commons already. It's going through the Lords. And that is going to take us into a completely different space, I think. Um, plant breeding has moved on a pace. We've got some real great welcome changes coming through the recommended list. 
So uh, that is evolving uh, to be much more useful, I think, in, in the same way that we introduced our own variety sustainability rating. So, so that's coming through, but plant breeding itself is still quite a slow process. Some companies are using computer-aided selection to speed up the arrival on the market of more resistant varieties. But my goodness me, if this gene uh, technology, genetic technology bill gets passed in England, it's going to revolutionize, I think, the types of varieties that we're gonna see on the market. It is specific to England, Wales and Scotland are still adopting the, um, the EU stance, which is that this gene editing technology is being viewed as a GM technology. England has taken a different view. Essentially, what you're doing is you're taking parts of uh, the DNA of the same species and moving it into the same species. So you're not transgenic, you're cisgenic, you're using the same genetics, and therefore it should be viewed differently. Um, and some of the advantages of this technology at the moment, we can't commercialize it, but we will be able to once this bill goes through, will be that we can look at, for example, genes for virus yellows. Okay, so this is a major issue that we have. We've lost the neonicotinoids, as we know. Um, virus yellows is a major issue for sugar beet producers. We've identified that gene. That can be inserted into a new variety pretty quickly if we have the ability to do so once this bill has passed through. Um, heat resilience, the, there's a gene that's been identified for uh, crops to resist extremes of temperature. How useful would that be uh, in parts of the UK given what we've experienced in the last few years? And reduction in asparagine in potatoes and cereals. We know that there is a gene that could be inserted for that, and that is a cancer-causing organism. So again, we could bring that in to our new varieties of uh, cereals and, and potatoes. So it's a really interesting technology. At the moment, we can test this technology in trials, but we can't commercialize it. If this bill goes through, we'll be able to commercialize new varieties. So again, it's not gonna happen tomorrow, but maybe five years on from now in England, at least, we might see some big changes. And mm -hmm. Yeah, we all view varieties as the first port of call when it comes to managing any kind of issues, whether it's um, disease, pests, uh, competition against black grass, which our own VSR takes into account as well, variety sustainability rating. But, you know, genetics is, is right there as a very, very important component. And that's going to change, certainly in England, uh, I would say, within the next five to ten years. And another amazing example of innovation that could help UK growers. Thank you, Claire, as always, for a very insightful look into what's in development. And as you say, there are real reasons to be cheerful as we look ahead. That's it for this podcast, but do tune in again as we meet the experts throughout the season, exploring the many immediate and longer-term questions for growers and farmers in the UK. If you have any questions that you'd like us to ask the experts, email info at agri.co.uk. See you next time.